Political jargon can be a lot. We get it. Populism? Subpoena? PACs? Welcome to our mini-series, What in the Politics, where we'll define political concepts one by one. Today, let's talk about the changes in conservatism. So, um, this is exciting because today's episode is the first time that we're recording together in person. This is the first Confuse Asian Zoomers episode that we've ever done together. It's kind of strange because we're used to doing it on a Sesame or Zoom call. So this is interesting. We're literally sitting right next to each other, but I guess it makes for better conversation. So yes, today we are talking about um, what original conservatism was, modern conservatism was in the late 1900s and how it has changed with the more recent presidencies. Right. So we'll start about how it um, came about in the post-New Deal era. Mm -hmm. And also, this is around the time where the whole um, Democrat-Republican change happened. And we will track it throughout the decades, if we can, and end with how it is today. So in the beginning, it was in, in the Vietnam War era. You know, when you think of the 60s, you think of hippies and you think of... You know, people like make love, not napalm. But mm-hmm. in, there was a group of people who were the early conservatives. And these were people who were the libertarians. And they were basically saying that, oh, freedom is a basis of America. And then there were the moral um, conservatives. conservatives yes. sorry, <laughs> And they were like, oh, no, virtues are the base of America. And they were united in their stance against communism, which is probably what help them get together in the beginning because these people were pretty different but they were against communism and they had a hostility against big government and this is what we are going to call the old right they are in the beginning they were against big government and they did not want like conservatives conservative policies to come about through the use of big government so now we are at 1964 and the presidential election, 1964. Yes. So um, we are still, you know, in Vietnam War. Uh, we're still... 1964 is the year that the Civil Rights Act is passed, I believe. I think that is the year. Yes. And so now... And it's right after yes. JFK's assassination. Yes. So to give some context, um, prior to the 60s, um, Democrats had been the party that controlled the South. They had a pretty strong grip on the South because they were the conservative party, the party for segregation, while Republicans tended to be more liberal. But it's important to note that neither party was strictly conservative or liberal like it is now. You had liberal and conservative Republicans, and you had the same for Democrats. But with the passage of the Civil Rights Act with uh, President Lyndon B. Johnson, Democrats became the party of civil rights. And this really is the beginning of that party switch where you see Democrats becoming the liberal party and Republicans becoming the conservative. And also, it was where we have the left and right spectrum and this is actually the democrats were actually left the republicans were actually right so we'll talk about how that changes later yes because we see a really active push by democrats at this point to push for like desegregation and equality but lindy johnson does win this election but with this um as the 60s continue we see more of the counterculture we see the hippies we see the sexual revolution we see the drugs and the rise and of it's important to note that lindy johnson won the election because jfk had just been yes. assassinated and um he was a popular democrat and he also in his um in his presidency the democrats had both houses yes so that that becomes important so at this point in time liberalism was still widely popular and jfk specifically. And since Lyndon B. Johnson was JFK's successor, he was assassinated and he was riding on that wave. But what was unpopular was the Vietnam War. 
Um, there was huge anti-war protests across the country. People wanted us to pull out of Vietnam. It wasn't working. But these mass protests and this continued hippie culture, if you will, um, invoked what later became coined as the silent majority. And this is when you enter 1968. This is where President Nixon comes into the story. And mm-hmm. Nixon and he wrote on the silent majority. Yes, he coined that term, the silent majority. And basically, he ran on the platform that... He was not anti-war, specifically. He was anti-communist, and he was tough on crime, and he was for law and order. And those last two phrases are um, essentially catcalling. I don't know. What's the term? It's like... Mocking? There's a political term for it. It's when it's like supposed to subtly mean something else. It's a dog whistle, a racial dog whistle. Law and order and tough on crime um, tends to mean that you are um, anti-desegregation. It means that you... Essentially, are running on a racist because, platform. Yeah, because they had long associated crime with African Americans. So, saying that you were tough on crime is basically assuring the silent majority that, oh, I will not work to um, end segregation. Yes, and also it's important to note that the war on drugs is going to start soon, and that's when African Americans become even more associated with crime because of uh, drugs in the inner cities and the ghetto. So, yes, um, Nixon basically campaigned for those white suburbanites who did not like what they were seeing with all these protests against the war in the cities. Mm-hmm. And then we come to 1972 when Nixon ran for re-election, and mm-hmm. he would have won. With vast majority. With he won vast a, majority. A, one of the um, most sweeping maj- uh, victory of any presidential but election. But as what happened, as we all know what happened, we had the Watergate scandal. He was paranoid of his, um, of his opponents, and he, like, roped in federal agencies to help cover up his crimes. Mm-hmm. And he, as we know, he resigned. And then we also have the sexual revolution happening in the early 70s with Roe v. Wade in 1973. And this was also, again, more appalling to the conservatives because they, in the beginning, they were building on a moral high ground. Mm-hmm. They were um, emphasizing tradition and family values. And they thought that these liberal movements, like the sexual revolution and civil rights were deteriorating these traditional family values. Yeah. And so that's also another thing that they campaigned on. So they're like, oh, no, decreasing birth rate, increasing divorces. No, these headstrong women are tearing our families apart. Mm-hmm. And then we have the Equal Rights Amendment, 1974, which was, it passed in 72. Very easily passed both houses of Congress. But mm-hmm. if you don't know, an amendment has to first pass Congress, and then it must be ratified by three quarters of the states. And it should have passed because at this point in time, we were in, I believe, third wave feminism and feminism was a pretty popular movement. But thanks to the activism of um, prominent conservatives like Phyllis Schlafly, who argued that this Equal Rights Amendment would lead to the deterioration of like the traditional nuclear family. It would uh, lead to the decline of women in their traditional roles. It failed to be this ratified This is like as an Republican amendment. motherhood all over again, yes. except we're not in the early 1800s. Yeah. And so at this point, I think is when we see a shift of conservatism, not fully, but we see it from being um, a political conservatism, if you will, because before this, it was mostly in opposition to big government, right? Exactly. We see, like, it, was like, an op- it was an opposition to New Deal. Conservatives, conservatives and Nixon were opposed to big government New Deal. They were exactly. like, we're going to cut Social Security, we're going to cut Medicare. But what Nixon came ran into was the fact that those are popular policies. So now conservatism has moved into the moral conservatism where we're arguing that American values are deteriorating, divorces are going up, everyone is having sex and having birth control and stuff. And this is not good for America, is their argument. And also, um, at this point, I think um, conservatives are also starting to realize that they could use their state power to 
make things happen. Yeah. Now we see conservatives enacting through the federal government Mm -hmm. to enact their agenda, if you will. And so now we, um, so after the Watergate scandal, Republicans are not going to win the next election, uh, enter Jimmy Carter. But Jimmy Carter only has one term and then he loses to Ronald Reagan, as we all know. And he really, I think, paved the way for what conservatism is now. So Reagan is known for his um, economic theory of supply-side economics, otherwise known as trickle-down economics, which is this concept that economic growth can be... (laughs) Sorry, I think I was too far from the mic. Um, Trickle-down economics is the theory that um, economic growth can be created if we cut taxes, and specifically if we cut taxes for the rich and the corporations, because the theory is that that wealth that they keep will trickle down to the working class. Sounds familiar. Which, in retrospect, we know isn't the case, because Mm -hmm. uh, when you cut taxes on the rich, they don't want to give that money away. It does not trickle down. um, For the sake of being unbiased, we will just say that this is trickle down economics we can talk about it more in another episode mm-hmm. but reagan was an insanely popular candidate um and a president because um he was in hollywood before he's from california which was the most politically influential state um he was a master of communication and he really knew how to use the television to communicate with people he was very optimistic and so he really was the first populist republican um before trump and he really was a precursor to what Trump became. And so he really shaped conservatism in that way to becoming this like populist party that ran on a complete economic freedom and not the government keeping their hands off. And so now that is kind of the summary of what conservatism was during the 1900s. And now we just, we're going to jump forward into the Obama era. Yep. So um, as you guys know, after the Bushes, Obama was elected in 2008. And this literally scared conservatives (laughs) because we have a black guy from... Illinois coming here and taking over the White House and scared people. People, it was the first proof of the demographic shift that had been happening in the U.S. over the last couple of decades. Mm -hmm. And I mean, the conservatives were aware of it, but it never really came to fruition. So now we, they had a black president and the scared people, we had something called the Tea Party movement. This was a movement that was basically a faction of the Republican Party that was created to oppose Obama's agenda entirely. And I think this is where we really start to see complete partisanship. Because before this, Democrats and Republicans really emphasized bipartisanship and they like worked together. But now we have a faction of a major party that's entire agenda is to oppose everything the president does. Which is common now, but for 2008 or 2009 when Obama entered office, this wasn't normal. And this is very bad for politics, but... We see that shift. This is just reactionary. And it's not to say that all conservatives were racist, but to a lot of the base of the conservative party, all these, you know, white working class people, seeing this demographic shift is scary to them. And having a black president is proof of that. And it should also be worth noting that in the early, in the early ages of conservatism, you had the evangelicals who were mm-hmm. the, the upper class like or upper, upper middle class white Christians And they really had the whole moral high ground thing. Mm -hmm. But modern day evangelicals are not necessarily that. They are, they might be upper middle class, rich white people, but, (laughs) and they, and they obviously, they claim to be Christian and they follow the word of God or whatever, but it didn't really, like, it wasn't really religious. It was more they used the moral high ground that the religion Mm -hmm. gave them. Yeah. So... And, and then now I think have... the big thing of the Obama administration that kind of defined what conservatism became was the passage of Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act. This was done really early on in his presidency. I think he was passed through reconciliation. So not a single Republican supported it, I think. 
And this kind of became like the boogeyman for Republicans. This it was, was a rallying yeah. cry. Yes. And so um, after the passage 2010, Republicans took back both houses of Congress. And I believe um, Republicans didn't have control of both houses for a while since. So this was big for the conservative movement. You can clearly see that there was a big reaction across the board to Obama and his policies. And that continued on to 2016, where we have the election between Clinton and Trump. And we all know Trump won. And, and that was really where yeah. conservatism was um, like corroding. Corroded. There is, I mean, there's a book, Corrosion of Conservatism, but it really became, it was not the moral high ground. It was just conservatism was seen as like the safe thing. It was suddenly, it was un American to not be conservative in the Republican Party. And mm-hmm. also, it became synonymous with being Republican. And this is also where the shift in the spectrum happened. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just right and left anymore. It was far right and like center right, center left. Yeah, and yeah. even modern day left isn't what left is supposed to be. Modern day left is like centrist, verging on like conservative policy. Exactly. <laughs> so who we claim as oh super um, radical is what left is supposed to be. Yeah, it's a, the American political spectrum has been shoved to the right because of what conservatism has become. And what's really important is that conservatism now, which we think of as Trumpism, isn't really what conservatism is at its core. Now we don't really see conservatives, or even Democrats for the matter, no one really runs on policy anymore. It's more about appealing to a voter base. So it's really just essentially populism. Like you saw Trump. His entire election was based on fear of immigrants, um, it was about um, response to Obama's presidency and about demographic shifts. And so that all was like energizing the evangelicals, even uh, energizing the white suburbanites and the working class and those who oppose Obama. And so he wanted to build a wall. Hello. Like, I don't know how that isn't big government because that was supposed to be a federally funded project. That isn't exactly what I would call conservative economics. So Trump really shaped conservatism. He warped it into something that it shouldn't be. And it really is what's caused politics today to be so divisive and non-cooperative and bad overall. And I guess he is partly to blame for liberalism becoming what it is. And now I think what he has done is shifted a lot of the youth to the left Mm -hmm. because we just saw what he did. And honestly, admittedly, even I don't fully know about Trump's policy, but from like a moral standpoint, we now view conservatives as morally incorrect, I feel like. Exactly. At least the two of and us. it's a and it's a complete sub- subversion of what it was, conservatism was created to be. And we're not trying to like advocate for oh the good old days of conservatism. No, mm-hmm. we're just saying <laughs> this is what happened before. Conservatism used to be become. a productive not I don't know, productive is I mean, word, if but you like, see um house sessions in seven the seventies and eighties, it wasn't two parties screaming at each other it was americans trying to reconcile the differences and do what is good for the country enact what their vision was of the country exactly now it's simply scaring people into what the other party's vision of america is now we see cpac and we see all these conservative politicians saying joe biden is going to cause us to be in a communist regime or that we're slipping into totalitarianism or that you know like um I don't know. <laughs> they're just they're making all these claims about what America will be if we let this this like woke culture, this cancel culture take over and it's really become a, just a politics of culture wars, which we're going to make another episode about. Yes, culture wars is our probably our next one in the politics episode. Yeah, but 
it's just that politics is not what it should be anymore. Mm -hmm. And in part, it's due because of how conservatism has radicalized and shoved itself to the right. Mm -hmm. Because it's populist and it gets the votes. So our closing thoughts is probably... um, Learn what the terms mean when when people spew, oh my god, we're becoming socialist, we're becoming communist. We're not. We're really not. Joe Biden is not a communist, not even close. Yeah. <laughs> so learn what the terms mean, learn how the terms have changed, and that is it for today, guys. Hopefully we didn't bore you with that exhaustive review of, not even exhaustive, we just ran over the 70s. Yeah. American history, y'all take a push. You can learn yeah. all about how. This is the part of a push that you tried to cram in the last few days Correct. before the AP exam. <laughs> but it's interesting. I think it's interesting because honestly, if I had been someone living in the seventies, there was a good chance I could have become a conservative. You know, exactly because it was an appealing political like platform. It was. But now, I feel like if I was that, I wouldn't even. I'd be scared to show my face because I feel like we associate with being like a terrible person nowadays. Exactly because of what it's become. But exactly. Anyways. So thanks for sticking with us through that yeah. ramble. We tried to outline guys. It yeah. really work. But anyways, to our Zoomers, stay confused and have a great day. Peace out. <laughs>